clock rolling. Is it out there? It's on there, yeah. Look, we just made it. <laughs> so you'll start with me. We'll do the normal crap, and then you'll go double screen when I say, and now Justin Hubenak. Hubenak, right? Hubenak, yeah. Hubenak, say it? Hubenak, yeah. This thing on my ear. I'm bearing with it, don't worry. We're the ones that were late. You'll tell me three seconds before. This thing is coming off my ear. Does it still look okay? Should I be hearing anything through my ear? Okay. Okay. No pressure. No pressure. We got to hit 30 seconds before here. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of 62 Who Knew. Er, 62 Who Knew. This is my first time back in the beautiful WeBeam TV studio. Um, God, in six months, it feels like I've been gone for for years, but it's been, I guess, six months, the second week of March. So yes, it's been six months. So welcome back. Uh, thank you for sticking with us during the COVID-19 crisis. Um, not that we're done with that crisis, but we're getting there. Um, we had a bunch of repeats in the last six months, but yet our audience stuck with us, and we really appreciate that. But the days of repeats and doing it from my house with my children walking by in the back and bad lighting all over because we're back here in the WeBeam TV studios in Pasco County, Florida. So let's talk about what is 62 Who Knew? And then I want to get to our guest as quickly as possible because this hour is going to go very quickly. As a lot of our shows have uh, included the topic of COVID-19, how could it not? Uh, we have talked in the last six months as we were all working from our homes about our favorite subject, long-term care insurance, in-home care, reverse mortgages, annuities, Medicare, but everything has been laced around how COVID-19 has affected our lives. And today's show, we're going to take a, a little bit of a different look on that. We're going to look from the medical standpoint, um, but let's just say, uh, or let's just do a quick description uh, to people that are joining us for the first time. And what is 62 Who Knew? 62 knew, Who Knew is about the set of circumstances that surrounds longer lifespans. All of us that are becoming, I just turned 62 just a couple of months ago, everybody in the baby boomer range, once you get to that 62-year-old, 58-year-old, 60-year-old point of view, we have the same questions as our fathers, as their fathers. Did I save enough money? Should my house be free and clear? Should I kept my mortgage? Where am I going to get my Medicare supplement in three years? Should I invest in, annuity, in annuities or the stock market? The questions are endless, and we have all asked the same questions as we approach that ripe old age of 62 for generations, except for my generation, except for the baby boomer generation. We have one different obstacle to overcome, and that is longer lifespans, most certainly a double-edged sword, or if you would, a mixed blessing. Because if you make it to 62 in this country, make it to 62, 
the odds are better than 50-50 than you're going to make it to 90. And the odds are only slightly worse than that that you're going to make it to 95. And with medical breakthroughs and scientific breakthroughs and things that have happened in the last 20, 30 years and that are about to happen, that number could even be 100. So the premise of this show is, who knew at 62? You could still have half the time you've been here still ahead of you. And less than one half of percent of this great country of the United States of America is capable of making it through that last 30 years with a high quality of life. So 62 Who Knew endeavors every week to bring on experts in long-term care insurance, Medicare, Medicare supplements, Medicaid, annuities, stocks, in-home care, health, vacation, today uh, 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 more of a, a medical point of view. That's what 62 Who Knew is about, and that's how we've grown in the last 16 months from, from no viewers uh, up to approximately 80,000 per week, and, and we thank you. And today's going to be kind of a special show. Um, today, our guest is Dr. Justin Hubenak. Why do I keep saying that wrong? Ubenak. Uh, Dr. Ubenak. Oh, we got our double. Uh, I'm glad to see that. Dr. Ubenak, um, I have known now. How, how when did you move in? A little over a year now. Uh, so for about a year, helped me through a medical crisis that we will not talk about on air because um, it's terribly embarrassing. So we'll never talk about that on air. But Dr. Ubenak works in Morton Plant downtown Clearwater, which has got a uh, special place in my heart, uh, quite frankly, because all three of my children were born there. Uh, just an absolute great hospital. But I thought since on this weekend, on this past Friday, our governor uh, saw it clear to put us into phase three here in Florida of our COVID-19 comeback. And if you didn't know this, even though our show goes out throughout the country, throughout the world, uh, the majority of our viewers are Florida. Uh, we have a lot in Georgia, a lot all over the country, several in other countries. But I wanted to discuss what is going to happen, what has happened, what do we think is going to happen now that bars are open at 100%, public meeting places, movie theaters, sporting events. I also want to go back a little, a few months. You know, half the world thinks, um, you know, that when in, at the end of March, every hospital bed was filled to, you know, capacity. You know, you couldn't get into hospitals if you listen to, we try not to get political here, but sometimes we have to. Um, you know, if you listen to one half the world, the world is coming to an end. And if you listen to the other half, and don't worry about it, but of course the truth is somewhere <laughs> in the middle. So let's go back to March for a second. Um, second week of March, they're closing down the country. Everybody's panicked. Is it going to go from a pandemic to an epidemic? Um, what was Morton Plant Hospital like then? So, yeah, back in March when all of this was going through, um, as everybody knew by watching Dr. Fauci and all of that, things were a lot different. Um, things were happening really fast. The virus was spreading really quickly. It was in a community spread kind of stage. Um, nobody really knew what the numbers actually looked like because mm -hmm. the tests still weren't really available. Right. So we just knew that the hospital was getting busier. There were these sick patients, and, but we really didn't know. It was a very hard place and kind of hard time. Um, as far as the numbers, strictly speaking, especially during the lockdown, it was an interesting situation because we had two things happened after the lockdown. Um, one was that the, the patients kind of just stopped coming in 
like on a very large scale. So lots of the healthcare system was actually at a decreased capacity because everybody was staying home. They weren't going out to bars. Mm -hmm. um, so you had emergency rooms running lots of times at 50% capacity. And what you ended up seeing was people in hospital systems sending nurses and PAs and doctors home because they just they didn't need that coverage. Mm -hmm. um, lots of the media and places in general kind of saw that as, oh, this is fake, this isn't real. But, but really, it was just the nature of everybody was just staying at home. So mm -hmm. it created some interesting kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and also, when it came to COVID, when we did have the testing early on available, uh, lots of it here in Florida, at least, was going towards the nursing homes to right. try to protect them. So lots of the hospitals and the community didn't really have that ability to get good testing. Um, so it was just a, a kind of tough situation. Um, and now what happened, let's say, you know, we, we flattened the curve. Mm -hmm. We opened up at 25% restaurants, still no bars and restaurants. You know, um, I mean, no bars whatsoever, no live sporting events. Um, then we went to 50%, still the curve was flattening. Um, but then July, suddenly, you know, it seemed like in June, if we had 2,000 people a day, we were like, ah. And then suddenly in July, it was 10 and 15 and 20,000 new cases a day. Again, were the hospitals filling up? Were deaths going up? Or was that? You know, again, the left would say, I hate to say it, but I'm going to, you know, it's because we did such a bad job of, of, of doing this. The right would say, no, we're testing more people, so more are positive, don't worry. And again, I personally think the truth is somewhere in the middle. But when we had that huge spike in July, again, I know you had a whole wing of a hospital prepared. Was that wing filled? I mean, were people dying in the hallways like <laughs> some people saying they were? Yeah, so I think that we in Florida, at least here uh, where I'm at specifically, we had we didn't have it as bad as some places. Um, the hospital that I was at was getting a lot of the cases from the community, and they were trying to keep most of the cases centralized in certain hospitals to try to keep them isolated from other aspects of the community, other hospitals. Um, but we converted multiple wings of our hospital specifically for COVID with negative pressure, very specific kind of requirements to keep everybody safe. Um, lots of things that actually proved to work very well. Uh, but were they full? They definitely were not full. They were busy. We definitely had an uptake in, and an uptick in cases the entire time. But I wouldn't say we were ever at capacity. Lots of the hospital system is actually designed somewhat around running at very close to capacity at a normal level, mm -hmm. um, say 70, 80%. So because of the decrease in cases overall, because everybody was staying home, it was actually somewhat balanced out by the uptick in COVID cases. Mm -hmm. So we never really saw that that maxing out of our resources we always had um, we always had capacity our ICUs did uh, there were some stories in the news about how we're running at 100% plus capacity in the ICU and that is something that happened but that really? actually happens um, lots of times even even just when the snowbirds come back to Florida we'll see our ICUs fill up past 100% capacity the way the hospitals designed is it's designed to expand into other parts of the hospital if it needs to. Mm -hmm. uh, they can take over the PACU for anesthesia care, which is important because um, elective surgeries, were we were not doing them at the time, right. so we had that space to use as an ICU if we needed to. Mm -hmm. um, so although it was somewhat busy and the numbers were going up for COVID, we were we were definitely not not maxed out, especially in July. We weren't maxed really? out. Really? Yeah. 
And do you think Florida, I know this is an opinion question, it's a personal opinion question. Again, half the, half the aisle or one half of the aisle says we did a terrible job in Florida um, preparing for this. And the other half of the aisle says we did a fantastic job. I think time will tell that. What's your opinion, you know, as a doctor? Did we do decent? I, I think we did a decent job. Yeah, so, of course, with these things, it, it can kind of go both directions. I think that overall we benefited here in Florida from seeing what other places had done, seeing what had happened in New York and mm -hmm. seeing the level of just um, healthcare utilization and problems that they had up there. Uh, we were able to take the lessons learned from the response in New York yes. and apply it to um, what we were doing as a whole on our healthcare system. We really focused in Florida on protecting the nursing homes yes. and I feel like just by the numbers that we were seeing that that was oh, by and large the right response to Absolutely. this crisis. Um, we did have patients in the hospital that were staying much longer in the hospital because the nursing homes were just closed and locked down. We couldn't place our patients right. from the hospital into nursing homes. So that is one of the downsides, but because of that, we didn't see the same death that That's uh, right. certain parts of our country did see. And that, I feel like, really, really helped us have a much better response. Um, some of the things, I mean, have been negative, but that's that goes the entire nation. Some people, no matter what, yeah, the the mask mandates. Not everybody kind of being on the same page with which, regardless of how you feel about that, it can make things a little more difficult. But by and large, uh, the way that we managed the pandemic, I think we did a very very good job. I think so too. Now you and I have had this conversation several times. The mask saves lives. I mean, you know, it, it, uh, first I heard that it's just the mask. The mask is protecting you know, the other person. It's not really protecting you, it's protecting the other person. But several doctors, including you, says it protects everybody. Yeah, so the evidence, of course, is, is always uh, controversial on masks. And I think one of the things that the public is finally experiencing now firsthand with, with just the availability of, of information and how quick everything's changing is people are seeing that scientific method in person and it's flawed um, it started off we didn't know if if this was something that was transmitted via the air or via contact so putting a mask on your face and now you're going to be touching your face and touching all these other things could have been the worst thing ever and it could have increased transmission right. As we went forward, we learned that the airborne spread was actually a little bit more concerning. So these masks actually did help very significantly. So you can get this airborne. Yeah, so funny. there are many people that think you can't. Yeah, so they call it droplet is, is um, what it is. So kind of like the flu is it's spread by droplets. But the difference between droplet and airborne is actually probably less than most people think. Um, something airborne, say measles, mm -hmm. is something where if you walk into the same room with somebody that's just breathing, then you're very likely to be exposed and contract the virus. That's, that's true real airborne. But droplet is very similar. If you walk into a room where somebody has coughed or has sneezed that has COVID, um, that room is now contaminated for the next few hours while oh, the droplets I settle. So although it's not technically airborne, it's, it's a very, very close distinction that you mm -hmm. have to kind of make. Um, and the masks do a very good job with protecting the droplets. All right, you know, we've, in, just so the audience knows, we did bad. We got here like a minute before showtime and, and usually um, we get here 
a good half hour, 45 minutes, but there was traffic, and the host is whining right now about why we were late, um, but we were late. Um, and I went right into the show because, like I said, you're going to be surprised how quick this hour goes. But usually my first question, I mean, I didn't get a chance to do your background, uh, which is a fantastic background, but be, you know, um, which I'm going to let you do a little, but I always ask every guest the same exact question in the beginning, and, and I didn't do that. So we're going to go backwards a little and, um, and ask you, what made you become a doctor? Because that is a... I mean, a tremendous commitment of life. Um, it's a tremendous amount of work. It's a tremendous uh, infraction on your personal life. And of course, I know uh, I was at this great man's wedding and his, his beautiful wife. Um, you're planning on having a family, but that beeper can go off at any time. And, you know, and Janie's going to get left home with the six kids. <laughs> How many do you plan on having? Uh, not six. I not six, think. okay. So there won't be any Brady Bunch. But still, you know, this is a life commitment. And some people say, hey, at a certain point in your career, you're going to be making a lot of money. Um, but if there's no free time to spend it and have fun with it, that's really not a great thing. So tell me really and truly, what made you become a doctor? So um, I had an interesting kind of background, I suppose, because I was actually an engineer before I decided to go into medicine. You drove a train? <laughs> no, no, not that kind of engineer, I'm sorry. Yeah, chemical engineer. So um, I was always into kind of the science and the math and that sort of thing. Um, what really drove me to medicine was the humanity, like the, the personal side of it. Mm -hmm. Just being able to get the personal interaction with people, talking, helping people more directly. Um, I've always really been driven by that kind of internally. And sitting at a computer doing numbers and design just, just really really didn't didn't do it so mm -hmm. i actually went back to school for medicine um, after kind of starting a career in engineering um, because i just really enjoy working with people and the life work balance is a little bit more difficult but um i'm focused more on the primary care direct patient care kind of side mm -hmm. Um, currently finishing my residency, so we go all out into the community and do all different types of things, which is which has just been nothing but a blessing and an amazing experience for me. Is, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's fine. And I know you were um, especially impressed with the USF. What is it, Morsani? Is that I ever say? With with that group and why you went to them. What 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 was there about that group? Yeah, so um, as far as medicine goes, it's a long process, and you start in medical school, and mm -hmm. I did my medical school in Texas, uh, Texas A&M, and when you finish medical school, you go into your residency program for your specialty, and you're licensed, you're, you're a doctor, but in order to be uh, eligible for the boards, you must complete a residency. So when I was looking at residencies, I was looking, of course, a lot in Texas, a lot Which in... Which is where you're originally from? Yes, where I'm originally from a lot on the East Coast, a lot on the West Coast. And I really, what we were talking about, kind of with that life-work balance, um, the USF Morsani program here in Clearwater and in Tampa really, really impressed me because they have a great great experiences clinically, great hospitals that we, that we go through and work very closely with, but yet you still have the, the lifestyle, the mm -hmm. ability to spend time with your family, yeah. and it's not just 
work, 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 work. There's mm -hmm. still some time. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Well, I see you tooling around with the cars and, <laughs> and, the, and the motorcycle, and, and uh, yeah, so it's, uh, now you were one of those many people that had a very, very huge wedding planned, and COVID-19 kind of screwed that all up. Yeah, yeah, that was that was all kinds of fun. <laughs> so my my wife especially, I think, wasn't very thrilled. We were we were planning on getting married back in around uh, May, and unfortunately, come March, all of the COVID started happening. We were, we tried to keep it as long as we could, but when everything was peaking, it just wasn't responsible yeah. to keep it. So we delayed it a couple months in an attempt to try to see if the numbers would get better. Um, they didn't, so it, it was a little bit, it was a little bit different, yeah. My wife, um, I, I tried to pitch the idea of doing something like this, like a live stream wedding, um, she masked up, something like that. She, she said no. Yeah. And then I asked her if we could, then we, then we need to delay it. She also said no. So I wasn't really sure what, where we were going. But it ended up one. beautiful. It was a beautiful ceremony on the beach. Nice breezy day. It was incredible. Um, all right. Well, that's. A, I'm sorry I didn't ask you in the beginning because I should have. We came in here like a, like a fury and started the show. <laughs> All right. I know in your rotation you do. You've worked the clinic. You work the emergency room. Um, what what happens when I shouldn't say what happens? Did you experience babies being bored with moms being tested positive for COVID? Does that mean the baby has to have it or not necessarily? So. I have experienced that, yes. Um, as part of the program, we, of course, spend a lot of time in the hospital going to multiple different areas, which actually made it uh, difficult during COVID um, due to the fact that, as residents, we're exposed to every single level of health care. But as far as the OB side and babies, there were um, mothers that have been tested positive who are carrying children, and some of those babies also tested positive when they were born. Um, what does that mean? So that, to that's, the baby, to the baby, that's that's good. So, so to the baby, the ones that I've seen born positive, they've all done very, very well. Mm -hmm. um, when this all first started and nobody really knew what was going on, they typically brought them to the in, uh, intensive care just to kind of monitor mm -hmm. them. And all of the babies that I saw, which wasn't, um, it's it's kind of anecdotal. It's a small number, so I don't right. want to say it's like statistically significant. Of course, anything can always happen. Mm -hmm. But in the small number of babies that I did see born that were positive for COVID, they all did very well. Um, the mothers were a little bit more of a difficult situation simply because of the nature of, of COVID um, mm -hmm. predisposes you to a lot of risks that you're already much higher at once you've given birth. Yeah. But so there's more risk to the mother than there is to the baby. Definitely. Well, and did, did you see any bad circumstances? I did. I'm not sure how much I can go into No, those, I know. Of course but, um, there was a, one... Nobody um, lost their life during birth? There, there, some people have lost their oh. life during birth or afterwards. Um, the nature of the virus is that it's not just respiratory. It also affects your blood and your circulatory system. And the problem is, is that when you've given birth, you have two things going on for you. Um, you are at a much higher risk of bleeding because mm -hmm. you just gave birth, of course, and also um, just just a lot of the changes. On, there's a much higher demand oh, on yeah. your heart after birth too, and 
we had a um, mother come in, she was a little bit older, and she was a little bit at risk for kind of bleeding and all those types of things. She ended up having um, very significant COVID symptoms when she gave birth, Ugh. and she had some complications afterwards that were kind of kind of unfortunate. Oh my God, but, um, gives me the chills. That's, I... not, that's not normal, That's that was the one I case know. that I know of. But, um, yeah, well, I have a lot more questions, but what, when I hear people say, and I mean relatively intelligent people, not dummies. It's just like the flu. Why is everybody making such a big deal? Um, you know, we didn't act like this way, you know, for the bird flu. We didn't act this way for this. You know, why is everybody getting so carried away? I don't know any moms in my life that had the flu and passed the flu on to the baby or died during birth or ended up on a respirator. What, what do you say to those people? It's, it's like the flu. Why is everybody making a big deal? Tell me the real differences between this and the flu. Well, the thing about the flu is a lot of people have had it. There's a lot of immunity to the flu out there. This is a novel virus. So that means that, by and large, not many people have been exposed to anything that's like this, this virus in the past. Mm -hmm. And the response that you can have to it is very variable. Some people have very few symptoms when they when they come in and they test positive they can test positive for Asyst an entire month or is that asymptomatic yeah. and they're asymptomatic versus other people can test positive and have very severe symptoms it's it's much different in that regard um, the flu is a big killer it it takes it hurts people every year mm -hmm. but but covid is much more of a unpredictable course and just the fact that very few people have any natural immunity to it makes it a lot different and a lot more difficult to, to manage from that perspective. Is it more vicious? I've been told by some doctors that we've had on, and I've had the, the Weissman Institute from Israel mm -hmm. uh, on several times. You know, is it more vicious when it attacks your lungs and heart than the flu? Or is that a lack of immunity that's making it more vicious? Or is it a combination of both? Yeah, so I think it's a combination of both. And just the nature of this virus, it, um, the, the research is still very new. So we still have a lot to learn about this virus and the way that it affects us. But there have been lots of information that was coming out initially on how it evokes like this secondary like um, reactions where it's not the virus itself that's causing the damage, but the immune response to it can sometimes be too much mm -hmm. and overwhelming for the system. And as far as the, the lung disease that it causes, it can be very significant. Um, and also just the way that affects your blood as well with the clotting uh, can also be very significant. And now, Does the flu do that or no? Flu, your blood. flu generally doesn't affect your blood in the way that this does. What we've seen is an increase in certain serum markers related to clotting um, that predisposes people to heart attacks and strokes and... Um, basically PEs or mm -hmm. pulmonary embolisms due to blood clotting disorders. Um, patients, not everybody has those, right. those effects, but the people who do uh, end up on high doses of anticoagulation mm -hmm. in the ICUs trying to combat that side of the disease, um, which I would say is when it comes to people who have bad outcomes with the disease, it's nearly just as difficult as the respiratory side. Right. Um, initially, everybody was trying to 
build up ventilators for these COVID patients. Yeah. There, there's been a sway in, in the way that we manage COVID patients in that we're not, we're trying to keep people off of the ventilators. We're right. doing things like BiPAP and positive pressure ventilation. What is BiPAP? Um, it's like basically a less invasive method of ventilator. It's not completely taking over your respiratory system. Mm -hmm. It's just assisting your breathing. Right. Um, but we've learned a whole lot in how to manage the respiratory side of the disease. So I think we've gotten a lot better. But it is, it can be at least much, much more severe than, than flu. Yeah. Now, a couple of people have also suggested, I've read about it. Um, yeah, it, it it's kind of amazing to me how it's, although it's a political topic constantly, even though we're nowhere near the end of this pandemic, suddenly other things are taking preference in the news. It, it just kind of shows how this country is. I mean, three months ago, we all could be dead and blah, 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 blah. And now it's, you know, what's going to happen on the debate tomorrow or the social unrest in the country. And, and, and most certainly these are important things. But suddenly the pandemic has taken, you know, is not is not the everyday news cycle. Yet it still is with us. I mean, there still is, what, tens of thousands of people per day testing positive. If, you know, uh, I think we just passed the million mark. Um, you know, let's talk about for a second before we get to the validity of testing. Um, do you think we're going to see an uptick in cases now that... Florida is going to open its bars and restaurants are going to be at 100% and football games and um, think, well, not football, well, yeah, football games. Um, hopefully not hockey games because we'll win Tuesday night and that'll be over. Um, but do you think we're going to see an uptick in cases? So I definitely think that whenever you put people in close proximity to others, it's going to affect the spread of this, of this disease mm -hmm. and this virus. So I think that there is, it's likely that we'll see an uptick in cases. Mm -hmm. um, Luckily, lots of the people that are going to bars, are going to lots of these events, are probably healthy patients, healthy mm -hmm. people that really don't have so many pre-existing health conditions. So mm -hmm. I think that that, it, at some level, is up to the person to decide their individual risks. But in terms of just the numbers and the way it's spiking, like you were saying, absolutely, it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon. I know that on my way to the hospital, I drive by one of the drive-through testing places. Oh, you were telling me, yes. Yeah, and it was, it was really interesting because for every day for a week, I went in and I'd see maybe one car, the nurse there doing nothing, playing on her cell phone. And then there was a news story that came out on the Sunday evening news about how cases are up in Florida and it's the new hot zone and everybody's mm -hmm. getting COVID in Florida. And I kid you not, the next day when I was driving to the hospital, there was a line across the street of cars waiting mm -hmm. to get testing. So I think there's a lot of motivators for people to get tested. And one of those is the news media, the things that yeah, we watch, it's always the things the news. that we expose ourselves it's always to. A, they love the negative stuff. Yeah. That's a, that's a show into itself. Yeah. And in a certain, at a certain level, the more you test, the more positives you're going to find. Well, yeah, that's another thing that the people, numbers, well, there's an old expression, you know, uh, numbers, wait a minute, liars figure, figure. Figures don't lie, but liars figure. That's it. That's the thing. I mean, if you're going to go from testing a thousand people a week 
to 100,000 people a week, which is basically what we did, you have to have more positive cases. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that the pandemic is growing. It, it could have been the same for the past month. We just mm -hmm. didn't know. Yeah. Now, it could be growing. I give them that. But for those people that were out there screaming, that's it, yeah. you know, we got to change this to an epidemic. No, yeah. that wasn't true. I think a much more accurate thing to look at is the death rate. Yeah, and that's it, all that counts. Yeah, and it's a trailing figure. So the thing about the death rate is it trails. Mm -hmm. You're going to have, if you have a spike in cases, the deaths are going to come weeks later. So you don't always know exactly where it's at, but it's a much more telling figure because it tells us how we've been dealing with this. And the death rate, despite the peaks that we've had here in Florida, has been, for the most part, very, very consistent and very kind of yeah. stagnant. It hasn't really gone up as much as you would have expected because of that peak. So I think that shows, one, the fact that we've learned a lot on how to manage this virus and how to take care of people that are sick with it. And two, that maybe it's, it's a possibility that these spikes in cases may have been related to uh, testing and those mm -hmm. numbers as well, and the more wider availability of testing to the public. Now, again, I'm not on the side of we shouldn't pay attention to this. I think we have to be very, very vigilant about this for some time to come. But as you said, I, I think the deaths in Florida, if you then minus or deducted the older people in the facilities, I think the deaths in Florida would be in some of the lowest in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, and that's the numbers actually do support that. Our numbers for deaths here in Florida have been actually very astounding in some ways. We have one of the more elderly populations here in Florida. Uh, we have that's a lot of mildly. we have a lot of co comorbidities here with diabetes and the good soul food that we have here in the South. Mm -hmm. But yet our death rate. Has been has been very very low considering. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is a testament to how good of a job we've done protecting yes. our nursing homes, and just the general response to everybody in the area who who. I was actually very impressed, despite people maybe not wanting to wear the masks and the mm -hmm. pushback, they were still wearing them, they yeah. were still kind of doing their, their job to their community, mm -hmm. and I think that helped a lot protect the people that were at the highest risk when we were in that kind of phase where we, we still didn't know a lot of the answers, mm -hmm. which were still there in a way. All right. And before we get to testing, which is a big topic, um, one of the things that worries me with four grandchildren is months ago, it's impossible kids can't get it. I mean, we, we maintained that from March through maybe last month. It's impossible. They might be carriers, but they can't get it. There's no risk. Get these schools open. The kids got to get back. And now they're saying that it is mutating, and it is going towards younger people. So number one, it is mutating. It appears the medical community agrees with that. It is mutating. How do you keep up with it? That scares me. The word mutating is on every science fiction show. And if mutating is in the script, things bad are going to happen. <laughs> nobody mutates for the good. Well, that's not true. The X-Men did. But other than the X-Men, nobody mutates for the good. Um, how do you keep up? How do you do a, a vaccine for something that's mutating? And... I know you can't get in trouble. You work for a huge company, and I don't want to put you in that position. Young people are getting it, aren't they? Younger than three months ago, six months ago? Yeah, so, so definitely young people are getting it. There's a question about how, how well, how should I say, what that means. Um, 
Lots of young people have strong what's called adaptive immunity or T cell immunity, mm -hmm. and that's what um, everybody knows. When you're when when you have a kid, they're going to get sick all the mm -hmm. time, but they have a very strong adaptive immune response, which means that their body is great at looking at these new infections and creating antibodies and, mm -hmm. and fighting it off. Um, much, much stronger, actually, than adults. When you're an adult, after a certain age, it, your immune system shifts to a long-term immune system using antibodies. So you're not as good at fighting new things, but you're actually very good at not getting sick because you have all these antibodies. Mm -hmm. Children, although they're susceptible to a disease just as much as anybody in contracting it, lots of times you don't see children have symptoms. Um, one, they have a lot of a lot of respiratory reserve because they're yes. children. Um, so maybe they're affected, but they can just power through it because they're younger. Uh, they're not sick. They don't smoke. They don't. Hopefully, they don't have all these other kinds of in France, concerns. They start smoking like yeah. in kindergarten, but not here in America. Yeah, yeah. We won't get into that. Um, <laughs> but definitely, the the kids don't have as bad of a of a time with it. Mm. There are cases, of course. There's always going to be outliers. There's always mm -hmm. going to be somebody, a kid that has leukemia or something that's going yeah. to be very negatively affected. But by and large, uh, kids, are safe. kids are very safe. But they can bring it home to their parents or grandparents. They can. And that's one of the biggest driving factors for should we reopen schools and lots of this distance learning, I feel, is the fact that if children do contract it, um, if they do happen to be contagious, they can bring it back home and mm -hmm. the, the home spread becomes a little bit more of a concern. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question, but you're allowed to say, I don't want to answer this question. Um, this is a discussion I have with my older daughter constantly. If you had, if, if if you and Jane had children today, would you send them to school or would they be doing virtual learning? Oh, they would absolutely, without a doubt, be going to school. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be doing virtual learning. No. Um, I like hearing that. I really do. Yeah. I mean, but it has to kind of, I feel like, be qualified with, we don't have any elderly members of our family living at home with us. Just elderly neighbors. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I think that it's, it's very low risk for ch kids going to school that are actually going to struggle mm -hmm. with COVID. It's more or less the people that they will be seeing at home that might be more affected by it. So mm -hmm. every case is going to be a little bit different, I'd say. And you need to use just your best judgment. Yeah. So I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh. More thoughts? No, um, and this is always changing, of course. Yeah. So the recommendations today might change. There might be more to the picture that we're not seeing yet. So somebody with COVID-19 that's asymptomatic, you know, touches the refrigerator handle to get a glass of milk or whatever they're getting. Then I come along at 62 years old with type 2 diabetes, slightly overweight. Remember, the camera adds weight. I have a lot of cameras, too, so it's everywhere. Um, and then I go and touch it. Is that how you... And then I do this. Is that how you contract it? Because a lot of people think that's the way you can get it. That is a way to contract it. Um, the evidence and the studies that I've seen up until this point have shown that, by and large, the primary vector of this virus is through the air and through the droplet transmission. Mm -hmm. But it is possible to contract it from surfaces. So the best way to prevent that is not necessarily wearing gloves. You have hands that are covered in skin, which are great gloves to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, the best thing for people to do is just wash their hands frequently. If, and sanitize the handle. And sanitize sure. things, exactly. If, if the person that touched that, that refrigerator door had washed his hands after he coughed or sneezed, then he wouldn't have had a chance of getting any virus on that surface. Mm -hmm. And if you, after you touch that handle, 
wash your hands, you now have made it so you're not going to contract it too. Or right. at least so it's not an your instantaneous, ah, you got it. No. Okay. No. Stacy, are you listening? Okay. Yeah, because uh, that's, that's an argument I have with people in my family. Being above 62, having diabetes, having a couple of other risk factors, weight, blah, blah, blah. My children, God love them, have been, you know, very, you know, because they're always running to you for a question. You know, can, you know dad just touched this. Is he going to die? Um, and I'm glad they're overreacting. You know, that's a, that's a sign of love. Um, but, you know, God, I sat home for four months, and I don't know if you see this maybe in the emergency room. Do you do anything on your rotation with psychological things? I do. We do. I, I mean, I got to tell you, I'm an up person, type A personality, I'm a motivational speaker. When I was sitting home for four months, um, there was just, I, I couldn't believe it. I got to my limit of how many Star Treks and Supermans I could watch. I watched NCIS for the millionth time, and I, you know, there's no better, you know, judge of people than, than Leroy Gibbs. There's just no way to get around it. But I actually got to a point that if I don't get out of this damn house, I'm going to go crazy. And um, I think that's affecting the country right now. I think the combination of the COVID-19, of quarantine, wearing a mask that makes everybody's glasses fog up, quite frankly, the social unrest in the country, um, this maniac presidential you know, election, which I'll say it again, whoever wins, the country loses. Um, I think it's got a lot of people just like, what the hell? What's next? And do you see that? Yeah, so in, in my continuity clinic, which I see patients on a regular basis that I've been seeing for the last three years since I've been at this program, the same, the same patients, lots of my patients were doing well. Maybe they were trying to cut back on smoking. Maybe they were depressed or had anxiety issues and we were trying to get them um, in a better place. I've definitely seen these, these other conditions, these anxiety disorders, mm -hmm. these depressions um, really resurface and very strongly. People who are making very good headway and, and doing much better have reverted back to smoking two packs a day, have mm -hmm. gone back into needing more heavier medications to manage their other conditions. Um, in some cases, we've seen an uptick in suicides and attempted suicides. Wow. Um, we've seen a lot of, a lot of, a lot of different things that aren't really talked about as much as kind of a side effect of these isolation and yeah, nobody's and talking lockdowns. about that on the news no unfortunately not because because it's a real thing but it's also something that's really hard to quantify because you don't have a test that can show yeah. how much this has increased but but you talk to any of these teenagers who are going out and making bad decisions right now because they're not able to uh, like in some ways STDs are up in certain age groups, mm -hmm. which you would think that if they're socially distancing, that would have gone down. But in fact, some in some cases, that's actually gone up. Mm -hmm. um, and risk-taking behavior because there's no outlet yeah. right now. Um, with everything closed down, it's just oh, yeah. made it very difficult. I mean, I was, I was far from skinny six months ago, but I put on 20 pounds in the four months that I was home, 15, 20 yeah. pounds. That was, re and I knew I shouldn't, mm -hmm. but what else are you gonna do? And even, I went to the gym Sunday for the first time in six months. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I even asked you, do you think I should? And, 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 you know, I wore my mask in and 
Um, I'm going to give a plug to Planet Fitness because they're doing a great, great job. Um, not that other gyms aren't, but that just happens to be, you know, where I belong. That you know, the place is sanitized. You mm -hmm. have to wear your mask when you walk in. You have to wear your mask until you get to whatever you're doing. You can take your mask off while you're exercising, but then you have to put it back on. You have to sanitize uh, what the the equipment that you use. I think they're doing a great job, but. You know, for six months, I said to myself, should I, should I not? Is the gym going to be an incubator? Yeah, I mean, the gym's an incubator under the best of times. Mm -hmm. You walk into a gym, it's not like walking into, you know, the perfume counter at Macy's. It's more yeah. like working into, I won't even say it, uh, more like a locker room. But that's what a gym is supposed to be. Um, it just seems like everything's a risk that you want to do. Everything is a risk. Uh, what I try to tell most of my patients is you, you still have to take care of yourself. You, mm -hmm. can't, you can't let it get to you and let your, the, your other health concerns yeah. take a back burner just because of COVID. Uh, some things are, of course, lower risk. I feel like people can easily go, especially in Florida where they allow you to, um, you can still go outside where there's plenty of spaces, socially yep. distanced, you can walk, you can I ride the bicycle, right, yep. you can do a lot of things to stay active and get outside. Um, gyms are a thing that's a little bit more difficult to say, but masks definitely are helpful. The mm -hmm. fact that they're all using their sanitizers is good. You're um, a big believer in masks. I am. I'm a big believer in masks. I saw it firsthand at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Before we implemented... Is everybody listening? Before is everybody listening now, listen to this. <laughs> this is a doctor, not an insurance salesman. Not that, oh, oh my God, all the insurance people I've ever yeah. had on the show are going, why did he say that? But this is a doctor. Look, he's got a white coat and everything. Listen to what he's, did you rent that white coat or is that yours? <laughs> this, is, this is one of many. Oh, it has your name on it. <laughs> it does. Listen to what he's saying. Listen, what camera am I at? Listen to what he's saying. Go. So, um... The story that I tell people when it comes to masks is just my experiences with them. At the start of the pandemic, I was, I was in the hospital. We had some of, some of the people in my program were out under investigation when all of this started and everybody was freaking out. So I was working extra shifts and Wait, extra What kind of investigation? Um, just if, if you had a fever back in March, then you took two oh, weeks okay. off from the Not program. Not for murder or anything No, okay. no, okay. Because, because we didn't have a good test. So okay. if anybody had a cough, you'd go home um, and be isolated just to, to reduce the risk of spreading it to other people. But I can tell you that when this all started, um, there was a mask shortage. And, oh, yeah. and at many of the hospitals, they were actually trying to keep people from wearing masks because the CDC hadn't come out with their guidelines yet. Nobody really knew. Um, and we saw a good amount of hospital transmission. Not, not a lot, but we saw enough um, to make it so that they changed the rule very quickly to requiring masks on everybody that walked through that door mm -hmm. um, and very, very strong compliance. Even when you're in a break room, they were requiring masks. And almost overnight, there were no more hospital transmission. Our hospital went from wow. nurses catching it here and there occasionally to literally nobody, no, no hospital So mass work, case closed. Yeah, that, that was good evidence for me. Um, there's actually lots of evidence out there saying that even once a vaccine comes out, a mask may do a better job at preventing transmission than even a vaccine. So that, that's, of course, nobody knows yet. I, I'm not saying that the vaccines are going to be bad, but um, that's just a testament to you how... You don't own stock in a mask company? No, okay. no, no, no stock I'm going to go buy some now that you said that. that but, um, but they do work. They work, especially if you use them um, effectively. And <laughs> yeah, I see people walking around with the mask here, yeah. but not at their nose. And what, isn't that the same thing as not wearing a mask? Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably not doing quite so much. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you've you got to use it right. 
um, and it does help protect you a little bit. It really helps protect other people, but you do get some benefit for yourself as well. Um, the best masks to protect yourself if you're really at high risk yeah. are the ones that fit your face the best. So the N95s, the ones that will actually cover your mm -hmm. face, uh, those ones are the best ones to protect you. Um, the normal cloth masks are going to be very helpful for protecting other people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I know you know one of the things you know one of the many talks we've had in the last couple of months. I mean, what happens when you get any type of surgery? What what are the doctors and nurses wearing to prevent infection? Masks, isn't? It? I mean, you're the first person to say that to me. But I mean, it's so obvious. Well, masks don't help. Then why do they wear them in operating rooms if they don't help? They prevent infection. Yeah, they keep the field from getting contaminated. And again, you have something that's spread through droplets. Me talking right now, the droplets are going out and landing on this table. If we had a mask on, they'd be, by and large, confined to the mask. Mm -hmm. So that would do a very good job for protecting surfaces, for protecting spread, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. All right, so. Let's talk about the validity of the testing. Um, everybody, a story started, and I'm sure it happened. People were online to get a test. They had already registered. Um, they decided not to wait because it was so long. They go home, and the next day they get a call that they all tested positive. And this is absolute proof that the testing is fixed. It's to scare the country. Suddenly, everybody I know has a friend that that happened to. And I'm going to call bullshit. This is the internet, so I'm allowed. I'm going to call bullshit. Could it have happened? Yes. But as soon as that went on Facebook, as soon as that went on LinkedIn, everybody in the world went, oh, I had a cousin that happened to. He didn't even get a test. It was positive. There's nobody rigging the tests, I don't think. Now, do I think, I'm just going to say it, that the left is pouring it on you know, the, how bad things are to try and get their guy elected? And do I think the right is playing it down to keep their guy elected, trying to be even here? Yeah, but the testing is valid to a degree, isn't it? So, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Like, I guess I'm one of the rare people that exists in that bubble where I don't know anybody that didn't get a test and got a positive yeah, result. Isn't that amazing? So, yeah, yeah. So it, maybe I'm just the one person that doesn't have yeah. that friend that that happened to. But I feel like lots of times those stories can kind of get either taken out of context or kind of just develop their own, like a life of their own. As far as the testing and the validity goes, I mean, no test is perfect. Mm -hmm. the, the flu test that we give you in the clinic is very, so there, there's two numbers that we look at for tests, um, the sensitivity and the specificity. The sensitivity is the chance that, um, so if you have a 90% or 99% chance um, of having that, if it's positive, you have the disease. Um, I'm saying this wrong. So right. sensitivity and specificity. Take two. Yeah, take two. So the sensitivity is basically the chance that if the test result comes back positive, that, that it's not missing it. So if it's negative, you're definitely negative. If it's positive, you may or may not be positive. So it could be a false positive. It could be a false positive. That's not designed, a false negative. But not a false negative. That's okay, designed that's because we don't want to miss positive cases. Right. We would rather tell you that you're positive and you end up being negative than vice versa. Than vice versa. So this, the specificity is telling how specific it is, and that's telling, okay, how true is your positive. And most of the tests, especially the initial ones, were very sensitive. So they did a great job um, mm -hmm. telling you that if it was negative, it's 
actually really negative, but they weren't always the best at being accurate if they were positive. But it's for that same reason. You don't want to miss somebody who might have the disease. Yeah. And, and as we've gone on, they've gotten better. Um, the fast tests, the rapid tests are So let's talk about worse. the different types of tests. First, sure. I heard that you know, the only test for a while was you know, sticking a Q-tip up your nose to touch the top of your head. Um, <laughs> and everybody I know that had it came back traumatized. Um, then some people are going, eh, it's not that bad. That, what, is that today still the most common test, the big Q-tip? Is that both sides? <laughs> do you have to do both sides? You don't have to do both sides. It's it's nasal pharyngeal is what they say what because nasal pharyngeal. So okay. they they go into the back of your nasal passage. Yeah. The, the the sticks about yay long or so, and yeah, it's it, it tickles your brain. It's 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 deep in there. Tickles? I don't think nobody's used that word when they described it to me. <laughs> but um. It's the most common one because it's the most accurate. They oh, it get, is the most accurate, even to today. Uh -huh. um, where, where the virus replicates is in your mucous membranes, is in your airways. So the, most, the best place to get a sample is, is all the way back there. That's been the case with all respiratory viruses for a long time. Mm -hmm. When you're swabbed for the flu, it's the same swab. It's, this isn't, this isn't a, a different COVID swab. This is the same swab really? that we've used Because I got tested for the flu and... You know, not too long ago when I was, you know, and yeah. it went up there, but it didn't tickle my brain. I have <laughs> friends coming home going, oh, the worst thing I've ever had in my life. Did they just have a mean doctor? Yeah, well, so there's, there's always, of course, different versions of flu tests, too. But <laughs> He's cleaning his shoes up there? I mean, what is he doing? <laughs> so there's, there's different types of tests, of course. Some of them you can just take a nasal secretion. Mm -hmm. some, some, some tests don't go all the way in. But the most accurate tests are always the ones that go all the way back and get a very right. good And then there's a blood test. There's a blood test now. The blood tests are also very accurate. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that they are, in some ways, the most accurate. Really? But, but their use is a little bit different. Um, for the blood tests, you're looking at antibodies. And in order for your antibodies to be positive, you have to have produced antibodies. So there's a lag time between when you actually catch the disease and, develop, and antibodies. develop antibodies. So you can be symptomatic with the disease and test negative for antibodies because you haven't had enough time for your body to develop that response yet. So it's not always the best ch test depending on the circumstances. So if I have to get tested, discomfort aside, I should do the nasal one? The nasal one will tell you if you have the virus right now. The stress never ends. Yeah. The um, negative to the, to the nasal tests are once you've recovered, they won't, they won't necessarily show positive because you don't have active virus anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's pluses and minuses to, to each test. Um, really, my advice would be talk to your doctor, and they'll be able to kind oh, of... Here. Yeah, exactly. And they'll, well, they'll be able to kind of help guide you in which right. test you need, should you get it. A lot of people want to get the antibody test because they want to know if they're immune, which is an all, a, no, a whole other can of worms. So Are they really immune? I mean, boom, that's it. You have the antibodies, you never can get it? So that's, that's on the fence right now because you're, we're talking about mutation and mm -hmm. the chance of that. All viruses will mutate. All living things mutate. That's why children aren't exactly like their parents, right? Because of differences in genetics. Um, <laughs> With, with COVID, there's a chance that it can mutate. There's a, there's a chance that just because you caught the disease doesn't mean you're immune. But in most cases, and if we take the flu, for example, which does mutate, just because you've caught it, you do have at least some immunity to it. Um, you have some cross immunity to other strains. So, so I think if we treat COVID like every other virus that we know, which evidence shows that it's like most other viruses, it's a little bit more 
uh, more dangerous, it's a mm -hmm. little bit more contagious, but it's still a viral process, just like everything. So if you do have it, there is evidence that shows that you do have some partial, at least partial immunity to that same strain. Can you get it twice? So that's a good question. Uh, some of these people who have gotten it twice may have been the fact that these tests had a false positive. Uh, so some people that may have gotten it twice may have only caught it once. Um, mm -hmm. in, but on the other side of the coin, it is possible that there might be different strains. The strain in Italy versus the strain in the U.S. might be slightly different, and you might be able to Italy's catch that. Italy's comes with sauce. Exactly. <laughs> better better pastas out there. Most, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, so it, is, it is possible, mm -hmm. it's reasonable to say that you can catch it twice. Um, but I would say that that's not something that we know for sure yet. Mm -hmm. The evidence still isn't very strong either way in that. All right, let's talk about the future vaccine. We don't have much time left. It's amazing how the hour goes by, isn't it? Because oh, I have like 20 more questions for you, but we'll, <laughs> we'll end with this, question, with this one. You know, there's a vaccine coming. Mm -hmm. My uh, sphere of influence or, or, or breath of people that are on this show, which is who I trust implicitly, do not think it's in the immediate future, but it's coming um, in a timely basis. How does someone have confidence in that vaccine when, in fact, when you get a flu shot, your own doctor will tell you it's a one in a hundred shot that, a one in a hundred chance that you're getting injected with the strain of flu that you might possibly get. It helps to get it, but it's no guarantee. Is that what this is going to be? That, yeah, this might help and maybe not because the flu vaccine doesn't necessarily help you not get the flu. Yeah, so with the flu vaccine, you have um, four different strains, usually in the quadrivalent one, that it, they kind of predict which strains are going to be the most common for your area, and they try to give you a vaccine against those. With COVID, they don't really have that many strains yet. It, dis despite the fact that there might be some minor mutations, by and large, the COVID virus is just COVID-19 right now. So any vaccine developed against COVID should do pretty good against it, depending on the actual efficacy of the vaccine, mm -hmm. um, which is yet to be shown. We don't, we don't have any information on that. But at this point, I don't think it, it can be really assumed that it's going to be um, another flu shot. It, it might be much better than it might that. Be. Well, that's good. Guys, we got uh, just about 45 seconds left of the hour, which is amazing to me. I hope you'll consider coming back because I still had so many more questions. And again, I thank you for doing this. Um, it's a pleasure knowing you. It's a pleasure being your neighbor. And it was great to, uh, to get a doctor's opinion without you know, Dr. Democrat or Dr. Republican or, or just a doctor's opinion. And I hope everybody paid attention to the mass section, um, you know, of what you said about mass. Mass help. I, I don't know if I'm going to take off my mask in the near future in, in private places, but be that as it may. With 15 seconds left, thank you, everybody. We're back in the studio. Unless there's a huge increase in COVID-19 cases, this is where we're going to stay. No more repeats. Lots of great people lined up uh, between now and the end of the year. Thank you for being with 62 Who Knew. We'll see you next week.